0: what's up everybody welcome to the comet ml office hours powered by the artists of data science super excited to have all you guys here today man hope you guys have a wonderful uh, weekend thank you for joining me on sunday whether it's sunday morning or evening or afternoon whatever it is thank you for spending part of your evening here with me and my friends from comet ml we got Iodeli my co-host in the house we got Curtis Gabriel and Koshal man thank you guys so much for hanging out um hopefully you guys got a chance to check out the dedicated conference it was a one heck of a event I really enjoyed my presentation and putting in the uh the work to create that presentation if you guys haven't checked it out yet it is available on YouTube <clears throat> and um yeah man we're excited to to be here Iodeli how you doing Oh, man, check, check that hair out, man. It looks, looks uh, nice.
1: Appreciate it. I felt uh, the need to change things up a little bit since we're all at home, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I was going to ask you how your week's been, man. It looks like it's been been pretty interesting with this blue hair. Yeah. Did you do it yourself or did you get it done? Professionally? Um, I did it
1: myself, actually, a couple weeks ago. It's been, uh, yeah. it's been something I've experimented with yeah. <laughs> since this pandemic started.
0: Is that something that you used to do back in the days as well, like change your hair color and stuff like that?
1: a little bit not nearly as like drastic or as often but I definitely think like uh I'm like what's what's the harm in seeing me in blue hair on like a blue on a screen every once in a while right
0: yeah yeah when I was in high school I was uh I mean I grew up kind of in an interesting area interesting neighborhood where it was um quite diverse and uh I kind of sat on the edge between like you know you know, punk rocker and like, you know, yeah. just like a wannabe thug type of thing <laughs> uh, And it's just because, you know, the the area I grew up in So I always change my hair all these different colors yeah. And do all this weird stuff yeah. Um, But yeah, man, super excited to have you here How's the rest of, of your week been?
1: It's been good It's been busy, but it's uh, I think it's always a sign of good things right now
0: Yeah Did you learn anything new? Do anything new this week? Ooh
1: Um <sighs> biggest things I've learned, I'd probably say I spent a lot of time like reading about ML Ops actually. So it um, goes hand in hand with like everything Comet, but um, just trying to get a better understanding of all of the tools that are out there. We cover certain areas in the space and other companies co- cover other areas like cloud data hosting and production stuff. So um, trying to get a better Understanding the landscape of what MLOps really is.
0: So, for anybody who wants to go out there and learn a little bit more about MLOps and kind of get their head wrapped around what it is that this thing is, what's a good resource that you came across in your yeah. studies?
1: Yeah, first thing, um, there were a couple of medium posts that I thought explained it really well. So um, if I can, I'll I'll try and drop some of those links in the chat so anyone can um, check those out. But I really started by trying to get what what, like from end to end of the model building to production monitoring. um, What does a normal setup kind of look like? So I'll see if I can find some of those posts down.
0: Yeah definitely and i guess like when we think about what ml ops is what is ml ops right is it is it just like the portion where once it's deployed now we need to monitor stuff like model drift and data drift and things like that or is is that the only thing that ml ops focuses on or is it just the entire chain of events from ideation to deployment
1: Yeah, I would say it's more the entire chain of events and how um, you use specific tools and frameworks. So um, for a lot of like large companies doing data science, they have like a data lake or whatever their cloud data services, but really everything from their like pipelines to the production monitoring, um, at least from everything that I've tried to gain so far.
0: Yeah, that's such a fascinating, area right i think it's um it's something that i definitely want to really up my game on and learn more about just because it's cutting edge in a sense and i feel like there's opportunities to really make a positive contribution um and it's just a signal that data science is just growing and becoming more and more important in yeah i think it's
1: a key for like a lot of the reproducibility that you know it's not just data science and ml but we've seen like problems in just industry science um, with reproducibility and when it comes to paper. So I think that's kind of our way of dealing with that somewhat.
0: Yeah. Cause I mean, people, what, you know, people don't realize that data science actually is a science and for a science to actually be science, there needs to be reproducibility and falsifiability baked into whatever it is that you're doing. Right. So like having, like, I think this is one step in really solidifying data science as a actual science is, Reproducibility, um, so it's it's definitely an exciting uh, piece of the puzzle. I'm I'm happy to be learning more about this. Um, so guys, hey, welcome to the Comet ML office. hour. happy to see you guys here. I see Quentin here. Quentin, I think we were connecting via LinkedIn, man. You're visiting, I think, from France. So thank you for, for coming here. Hey, so let's open the floor up. If anybody wants to go for a question, go for it. And then while our community member is asking their question, if you've got a question and you want to hold your place in line, just type in, I've got a question right there into the chat. So open it up to anybody questions on anything whatsoever, or I could flip it out and ask, ask you guys, you know, what, what have you been learning this week? Has anybody been trying to pick up a new concept or a new area of, of skill? Are you guys struggling with it? How you guys feeling with it? I think for, for me personally, something I've been really, uh, interested in is you know i picked up this book that iodeli had recommended this databases book and then i posted about it on linkedin and people were were mentioning the statistics book and the linear algebra book so i've got them all and they're all sitting here um but yeah this this has been great databases like just a great refresher and 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 really interesting way to to learn up on that concept curtis i saw that you were unmuted uh go for it
2: oh yeah um so I've, I've been doing a lot on, also been doing a lot on MLOps. Um, like one of my most recent clients is, uh, they do a lot with MLOps. Well, it's kind of like a platform for model monitoring and um, stuff like that. So I've been covering a lot around MLOps, model management and yeah, but well, mainly around like financial areas. So that's kind of like a new sort of realm for myself.
0: What have, you, uh, what have you learned up on it about this week? What can you share with the uh, audience?
2: Oh, gosh. <laughs> Put me on the spot. Um, boy. So, mainly, like the processes, like going from um, co- concept right until deployment and management in production and the whole loop of how MLOps goes around and why we can't be just using it why why mlops can't be done in the same way as devops and the little discrepancies like we're also managing data and code in data science whereas in devops and stuff like that you're just managing code and yeah basically <laughs>
0: yeah i think that's the you know biggest thing about machine learning systems is the input isn't just code it is the data itself and data itself changes because it's a representation of the real world and the real world changes so you need to have those type of things built in to make sure that we have reproduci- reproducibility and consistency.
1: I think it's especially um, cool that you're exploring this in finance especially since um, it's one of the more regulated industries than uh, the vast majority of us work in so um, have you experienced any like specific
2: issues around MLOps or maybe finance specific? Um, Right now, hands on, like not really, but I have been just going through because the company is based in, in America, I've been going through different documents like SR11 and different like Model management guidelines or or requirements that are set by the government in the United States. So it's just like touching around things at the moment, and then also developing content for it at the moment. Um, it, not necessarily any hands-on experience, but I've read about experiences that one may that may come up in like a financial situation. Um yeah no 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 <laughs> it's it's totally do you have any experiences with it less ml ops related but um, my last uh,
1: organization is a credit reporting agency so um every individual in the company especially even technical folks had to um, go through training and pass a fcra test which is like the fair credit reporting act here in the states that um consumer reporting agencies have to abide by essentially. So um, the biggest impact I, I noticed on our like technical workflow was that we had an incredibly heavy focus on interpretable models. So we were um, not an org that really put any kind of black
2: box models into production. At all? Even if it's given better results than like a simple linear regression, for example?
1: Um. Yes. So and because we are they were regulated by um, and the the main issue there was that we had to really easily um, be ready for auditing. So be ready for auditing yeah. the um, FCRA and then essentially have legally defensible decisions. So uh, less about if a black box model could be more accurate. But if we couldn't legally defend that decision, um, it was almost always <laughs> opting for uh, something interpretable like a linear model.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. So for people who are interested in going into the the finance space or or credit reporting space for data science, what are some points that they should probably be aware of? Like what kind of tools or techniques or specific types of algorithms that they should really focus their attention on so that they can make an impact when they get their first job in that, that field?
1: You know, I would say work on... Know like everything about the go to industry interpretable models. So um, we talk about linear models, but like generalized linear models and additive linear models and understanding. There's a lot of depth there. Um, Same for like decision trees going kind of uh, deep into tree and a little bit of ensemble methods. Um, I found those were the most commonly used and the easiest to kind of document and defend when when necessary
0: so yeah so people uh, would probably want to get some good resources with respect to that you got like besides your course you've got an awesome course on linkedin learning do you cover any of these other uh parts these generalizing your models
1: um, less so in the course, cause it is kind of an introduction, but, um, I know there's a lot that I, <laughs> that I was using kind of, um, to have in my back pocket at my last role, especially since the, there were, after taking like the FCRA exam, um, there are like personal fines that, um, technologists can face if we, uh, do anything weird i guess because we have data about people's personal information so um i know there's definitely some resources out there i'll uh, probably be able to grab one and drop it in the chat in a minute
0: yeah so one of my personal favorite resources is the pennsylvania state university so penn state university their statistics department Uh, All of their courses are pretty much open source. They're not like on video or anything, but they have all the lecture notes online. If you just search for Penn State statistics, you'll find a whole curriculum of courses that you can refer to. And hands down, my favorite resources, they're so good. So definitely do a research uh, into that. If you do like Penn State quote, quote, Penn State and quote, quote, GLMs, I think it'll take you like statistics 504 or something like that. And, uh, it's a very, very good resource. All right, guys. So, Hey, if anybody has a question, go ahead and uh, unmute yourself. I see we got a couple of new members here. Ayush joining us, man. Good to see you here. Good to see you here. I'm glad you're able to, to make it. I know it's a bit more favorable time for you as opposed to the Friday sessions, which I think are like 4. A.M. IST. How yeah, you doing?
3: Yeah. 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 Thank you so much. Yeah. I'm really happy to be here and be a part of this conversation.
0: Yeah, man, definitely happy to have you here. How's your week been?
3: Yeah, it was it was good. I've been learning R. I've been learning D three. So yeah, I've been learning some new stuff.
0: D three? How huh? is that for uh, mostly doing visualization? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So how's that? How's that been for you?
3: It's been okay. Like I I have a computer science background, but I am not a big fan of JavaScript. So we do require. JavaScript as well, like HTML, CSS, JavaScript for D3. So I'm trying to learn that. Also, there are, aren't are many resources for the same. So I mean, they have new versions coming up quite regularly. So now the version is number six, but we have resources for version four or version five. So I have to look at the documentation as well because the syntax changes and there are a few changes. So Yeah, I'm trying to catch up.
0: Yeah, man. Like, I mean, you're still, still super young. You got a whole lifetime of learning ahead of you. So that's awesome. Like me personally, man, like I, okay. So, you know, I'm, I'm th- turned 38 later this year, right. So I'm significantly older, I think, than, you know, most, most people here, uh, or most people who are currently breaking into data science, my background came from just like proper academic statistics and math and stuff like that. And it wasn't until like the last two to three years that I started having to to learn a lot of software engineering kind of best practices, and it's been a super hard uphill struggle. And you, I, me personally, I always feel like, "Damn, dude, like these. I wish I would have done this stuff when I was in my 20s, or I wish I would have. I, I wish my statistics department was more computationally focused, so that it would have better prepared me for for the future. Um, but yeah, that constant feeling of, like, "Man, do I know enough stuff yet? Do I?" do I, you know, uh, it, it's, it's, it's rough. I know a lot of people deal with that. Do you ever deal with that? And How do you, how do you handle that?
1: Consistently? <laughs> um, I think part of it for me is being able to like fact check myself. So, um, you know, when you are trying to break into a new career, I think early on, it's very much like telling yourself, Hey, someone's paying me to do this. I'm legit enough to like do this. But, um, the other half is kind of, getting comfortable with um, not knowing a lot and I think we've at least created a good community in data science and ML I think um, that if you don't know a specific uh, model or algorithm most people aren't like wow how could you not know that but more yeah this is a weird thing we may only use in this industry of course if you're on the product side, you haven't seen this. And then um, it goes into like a good relationship about and learning and being able to um, just exchange information. So I think that's helped make it less intimidating is knowing that the vast majority of people, um, Mm -hmm. even if they know X, Y, and Z more than you do, they would be more than happy to at least talk to you about what it is, instead of kind of shaming you for not knowing. So I think having those experiences
0: over and over again helps. Yeah. I think that's the favorite, my favorite thing about this field is that there is so much to learn, but it, it's rather than being stunned into like an action, like, Oh my God, there's so much I need to learn. Where do I start? Like you just start with the basics, the fundamentals and incrementally just start learning and getting better and better. And I don't know, like, I mean, personally, I feel like on, LinkedIn, there's just a lot of like virtue signaling by people like, oh, in order to be a data scientist, you have to know this and this and all this other stuff. And it's like, I know all of this stuff and I'm a data scientist. And if you don't know this stuff, you're not a data scientist. Like to me, that's, there's, there's a lot of that. And I think that really discourages people. And it's like, yo man, like just, you don't need to know everything all at once right now in order for you to start making an impact. And you definitely don't need to start com- comparing yourself to every other data scientist out there and, and you know, having like a measuring stick like okay like this am am I real data scientist am I not and we will all go through these types of imposter syndrome bouts without a doubt throughout a career. Um, But I think it's important just to focus on where you are, get good at some of the tried and true fundamentals and the basics and just incrementally start just getting better every single day, right? Pick pick one thing a month that it is that you want to master. Right. And if you do one thing a month for the next year You've just gotten good at 12 different things and you've built your toolbox up that much more. So if we were to think about just some of the bare, I don't want to say bare, but just the ground level fundamentals that you need to know in order for you to really start progressing in this field, what do you think those would be? Mm -hmm.
1: I would say it's kind of the stereotypical kind of Venn diagram you might see, but um, it is true. It's really the core math. So, probability and statistics. Um, I would say a little bit of linear algebra, especially if you are ending up working on like deeper learning projects. Um, and I think something that it's not left out a lot, but I like to include really strong SQL skills when I talk about coding as well. Um, that was something. Thing that when I moved from grad school to uh, industry, I really wished I knew a lot more. Um, that was the biggest hill to climb, uh, despite the fact that I had studied the core concepts. Um, it doesn't make you a great SQL master at all. Um, and then going along with that is really this business sense and intuition. So. I always like have mentioned, especially if you are changing careers, it's so much easier to change your job function within the same kind of industry or change your uh, industry and have maintain the same job function. But changing both is always incredibly hard. So um, I always suggest, especially if you are coming from an industry like healthcare or finance um, but just want to change your job position maybe from being more on the ground to doing like data science and ML work, um, using everything that you already know about that industry um, and being able to rely on those insights will make it easier to just learn how to get great at retrieving data and creating models um, and software engineering because you kind of already know the uh the some sets of the business so i'd say those are the top things to try and focus
0: on yeah sequel without a doubt man that thing is super super important to to know and to learn and i think if you put in just a month or two of concentrated effort you can get some really quick returns on on your time investment that'll immediately start making you more and more uh, effective um so I see there's some people unmuted here. So Deepesh, if you got a question, let me know. Um, otherwise, I'll just to reduce background noise, I'm going to start uh, just muting people. So uh, if anybody has a question, go for it. So I see here, um, IJ, is that how you say your name? Oh, all right. Uh, So if anybody has a question, go ahead and just type it right there into the chat that you got a question. I'll add you to the queue. Uh, Tor is asking SQL is what SQL structured query language. Um, Yeah. So that I think is absolutely key. And um, yeah, you know, that's something that I wish I I had learned in school as well. Like, you know, like as a doing grad school in statistics, they don't teach you SQL. (laughs) That's one thing that, that I, that I wish I had learned uh, a lot earlier in my career. Um, but the thing is, man, it's it's not too difficult to to learn.
1: I always suggest like if you the best way to actually learn SQL is if you have like any kind of data that you think might be interesting, finding some um, toy data set, even it's. There's a lot of places you can create, like just stand up a really tiny database for free. Um, I've used like SQLite and just put like data off of Kaggle into it. Um, The reason SQL is hard is because the nature of data in most companies is not usually well-structured and it's usually messy, not because learning SQL itself is hard. So um, the biggest gap for me was Yes, I had taken some online courses on SQL when I was in grad school, um, but got to industry and expected that most of these basic queries would work. Um, And it turned out I had to make four different kinds of joins to get the actual data that I needed. And so it wasn't that it was difficult, but um, it's almost impossible to teach you SQL about um, a a specific orgs kind of data, so there's so much relying on other people at your organization to say, hey, what are the um, specific columns I need to be joining on and having a good idea of the landscape of your actual data um, is something that's hard to gain from any of these like tutorials. So it's less that you have to um, memorize every single thing and more you have to build that uh, intuition for Trying to understand why things are laid out in a certain way in your database and getting them together—that's the—that's the difficult part, I think.
0: That's excellent insight. And uh, sad one thing that makes SQL super tough is that it won't—the code won't always break. Like you'll get a result, and it might not be the right result. Um, so you have to be super, super careful with the way you write your queries and really understand it. And I think the hardest part for me about SQL is you have to really use a lot of your imagination when you're doing joins in your in your head right like like I, I don't know of uh, I mean I know there's there's Azure data studio that's available, but unfortunately it doesn't work with like a bunch of different types of uh, SQL engines it's mostly for ms SQL server but notebooks I think would be really helpful right if we had some type of notebook environment where we could do SQL with so that we can kind of see intermediately what we're do when we're doing these queries. What's the data looking like because um, I find a, I find that I used have to use my imagination a lot when I'm doing SQL because I have to imagine in my mind, okay wait, this is the table these are the columns these are the ways I'm doing whatever joins and and things like that Did you struggle with the same thing?
1: Yes, I very much um, I have taken to a, in a lot of complicated like data scenarios whiteboarding um and imagining what my end table should look like uh and kind of working backwards from there because you're right it's um you don't get to see these tables as you are writing a query so um it's definitely you, you lean on some of that imagination skill yeah
0: yeah uh, man it'd be great if we had like a, a sequel notebook that, that would just make life so much so much yeah. easier uh so we got a bunch of people joining in thank you guys for for joining in um looking at the chat now just catching up i see there's a couple questions that we'll get right to if you guys have a question go ahead and put that right there into the chat uh torres you got your hand up i will get to your question after we handle um uh quinton's question here um so, Quentin is asking, what are the must haves in your portfolio? Um, so, what do you mean by must haves? Quentin, go ahead and meet yourself.
4: Yeah. Hi. Hi, everyone. Um, yeah. So, basically, I'm at a stage right now where I'm trying to build a compelling portfolio uh that is trying to convince what i know um and i'm trying to i'm trying to figure it out like uh, what you mentioned before you know that uh, we have so many things to learn and it's complicated sometimes to know what should be the next step what should be we we should be learning uh so the must-haves is like uh okay we don't know everything and we can keep learning in the next experience in the next business or for ourselves if we're a freelancer or whatever um, so the thing is, uh, there are keys, like uh, stats, for for example, or priorities, there are key uh, skills that we need to have uh, in the first place. What are those skills? Like, what, what are the skills that we have to put in the portfolio? And what are the skills that we can say, I'm okay with learning in the future? I will be able to learn in the future in your business, but I don't have them right now.
0: Oh, that's a good question. Yeah, that's very good. I'll let you handle that, Aydelia, unless you want me to just go off on that.
4: Yeah, I think
1: the biggest must-have is being able to show that you can clean and manipulate data. So um, I'm kind of going general here for, like, data science job title roles. Um, Yeah, being able to show that you can get data from maybe disparate data sources. So um, combining multiple data sets on Kaggle or something like that. Um, I think that's one of the biggest the aspect after that I would probably say being able to interpret model results. So showing that, um, you know, yes, you printed out like your classification metrics, but even if you can go into detail in a couple sentences of so what, so what does this mean for my modeling process? What does this mean for the potential product? Um, And I would say the, it's not a must have, but if you're maybe targeting more um, machine learning focused roles, I would say, try to kind of show how, if you can deploy a model in any way. So even if it's like um, a Django web app with Python or, making basic like predictions in browser showing that you can have a model that is live and working somewhere. um, I would definitely say is a nice to have, but is something that would probably uh, give you bonus points compared to the vast majority of other portfolios out there.
0: And does excellent points into that. I'd even add like, take it one step higher level, like not, not so much in those technical details here, but uh, high level, can you pave a way from ambiguity to a decision? Because I think a lot of the times in the real world, you don't have the answer to anything upfront. Like you're not going to know how something's going to pan out or work for you. Um, so being able to concretely state what it is that you are trying to achieve, what result it is that you're trying to work towards. And then from there, lay out a path. Okay, great. This is the thing that I want to answer. And then lay out a path to get there. Right. And along the way, obviously, you're going to have to clean data. You're going to have to model the data, come up with some type of, you know, do your exploration, do your visualizations, interpret and, and, uh, evaluate your models as well so i think that is also a must-have so everything i said plus clearly defining what it is you're trying to do and clearly defining when it is that you're going to stop or what it means to have a result or no result if that makes sense
4: yeah yeah, completely um and actually thank you guys for the answers and actually um i think it's completely in line with the subject of the data kt the conference where you where you spoke Uh, In the sense that uh, the the, the main point is data storytelling, basically. It's to to have a narrative for the business and to keep in mind that all what we are doing is for the business in the first place. Mm -hmm. Um, And apart from having a lot of practice, we know like we have to grind, we have to be programming, we have to do a lot of projects to be comfortable with this. Apart from the mere uh, practice standpoints, would you guys... Think of any recipe to practice this business um, acumen—the—the—the um, the, the, the fact of like well, well, exactly what you mentioned, right? The ambiguity to having a clear uh, decision-making uh, uh, material. You know, like do you have a full recipe to practice that specifically.
0: Full recipe to practice business acumen. That's a good one, man. I don't—I don't know that I have a recipe, but what I do is I—I read just a lot of white papers, yeah. so a lot of companies. They always talk about what it is that they're doing, right? Because the culture of data science work is just everything's open source. So as much as I possibly can, I'll read up on like real world case studies, and you know, there's there's like a case study that Airbnb had done where they had uh, talked about what they learned after 150 failed models, Um, and you know, things like that, or like Netflix will always have. You know they'll always post something about how they're applying data science and machine learning to make better recommendations. Um, so I think that's a key point. Is just reading up on industry white papers where they talk about this is what we try to do. This is you know the problem statement and what we're hoping to achieve for our end user and just being exposed to that as much as possible i'd say ideally what do you think and if anybody else has some tips on this i'd love to
4: hear as well if you can share if you can share the resources as well like you were mentioning white papers if you can share as much as you can as well would be nice
1: yeah, I would say my strategy is fairly similar in that um, the easiest way, especially right now, since pretty much everyone is remote, um, to learn from what these teams are doing is by going to their blog or um, checking out these white papers, because that's one of few forums that's public that we kind of get to talk about Um are technical failures, right? So, um, learnings after these models fail a lot, but um, I would say another aspect, at least um, as far as my journey, would be having these conversations with other industry people. So, um, especially when I was uh, at a prior company, um, dealing with a lot of issues in model failures and trying to make good models. Um, I became kind of really ingrained in a lot of these other technical uh, machine learning groups in community groups and would ask, so, Hey, you are at X company. Um, how do you deal with model failure? How do you deal with um, these projects not being <laughs> kind of what you expect? So um, I've had to get a lot of those learnings from other people and um, yeah, I think forums like this are great because we were able to provide things like resources. But it's a little bit harder right now to um, call up a friend doing machine learning at another company and ask necessarily, uh, you know, what what they're kind of struggling with. So, um, but I do think that there could be a lot more work around help have having better resources to practice this kind of business acumen. I think um, so much of it comes from experience that we may not have built great tools to, to kind of help people learn in that uh, aspect.
4: Yeah. Thank you. And, and I think like uh, you, you can always benefit from other people's experiences, but there is nothing better than your own as well. Like you, you understand things in different standpoint when you actually make the mistakes yourself. And, and I don't think there is any shortcuts for that. Like you, at the end of the day, you have to make the mistakes and, but you can get a bit faster if you benefit from other people as well. Like uh, Yeah,
0: And I think that's a huge benefit of like conferences, like conferences, people, that's where people present what they've worked on. So if you go to YouTube and just look up like, um, um, I'm blanking on the name of it right now, but it's like, uh, I'm not even going to try to attempt to remember the name, but, um, there's a bunch of, I think it's called PyCon or something like that, PYCon or something like that, Mm -hmm. um, but there's a bunch of presentations like that. If you just go to YouTube and type in like, you know, Spotify, quote unquote, data science, and you'll see a bunch of uh, presentations that Spotify data scientists have done or Netflix data scientists have done. Um, so that's a, a great resource as well. And yeah, just papers, so many white papers. Um, I've got so many just saved on my my hard drive. And uh, a quick thing to do is like, for example, like if you're doing... Um, a google search right you do quote like i'm talking like advanced search here so you do quote data science quote case studies and then you type in file type colon pdf right and i'll pull this up for you guys real quick just to show you how i'm doing it um and this is what i kind of use to uh, the type of search i do to help me find case studies right so we could do uh, data science case studies like you know file type pdf and this will restrict my search to just uh, white papers and the like. So here's one case studies in machine learning, machine learning case studies, right? So if you go here, case studies in machine learning, um, and what I do is I'll not only just read through some of this stuff here, but like go to the references section and see if they have any references to, um, you know, like this looks like it's a graduate thesis. So probably not the best thing. Um, but yeah, just doing a search like that case studies and you kind of like you typically how people are on the internet, you kind of go through a rabbit hole until you find a a gem. So it takes a little bit of effort uh, before you find a paper that really uh, is interesting. Um, And I try to do that with my newsletter, like, you know, because I I do so much research out the week, just reading up on case studies and stuff. And I try to link back to something in my newsletter. So hopefully if, um, if you're part of that, you'll be able to see that. But here's a link right here that I could share for you. Or even if you have an industry that you're particularly interested in, right? So you can look up case studies in like e-commerce or case studies in in manufacturing. And what you're looking for is like key terms that jump out that you can then go research more about. Um, yeah. So yeah. hopefully, I answered your question. It wasn't too abstract.
4: Yeah yeah you answered my question completely i mean uh, it's uh, we we are part of a world that is uh, abstract in itself so that's that's part of the thing but uh, i don't know you answered my question perfectly it's cool. uh, yeah. good resources
0: yeah definitely glad you enjoyed I, that and then oh yeah go on somebody else was uh,
3: yeah i i had a follow up question uh, yeah. okay i i can read about these case studies and you know i can learn but how do i showcase this like obviously projects is a way where i could you know showcase these skills like uh while i'm trying to find you know some solution i could tell my ways or you know all these kind of stuff in a project but are there any other ways i could show this business
0: acumen yeah i mean through the project itself right like like that's how like everything you do in that project from how you clearly define the problem statement to how you are thinking through and sharing your rationale for why it is doing what you're doing that's showcasing that that business acumen ideally what do you think
1: yeah, I'd say um, yeah, your project first of all. But I think in addition to that, this may be um, part of your interview process. So if you um, get to the point where you are talking to potential, I've had this come up in technical interviews as well as um, speaking with management. But how you can understand what the business problem is for a specific model or project they want you to do. Um, a lot of the questions I've gotten are are around. Okay. here is a situation, here is what we want to do with these predictions, kind of describe how you go through the modeling process. So um, that might help kind of bolster what you can show in your portfolio. But being able to clearly explain how you go from here's potential goals to the process that you would actually take in data cleaning, model building, as well as um, moving into production. So um, if you get interview questions like that, um, it's a good chance to be able to show off that you do have some really strong business acumen there.
0: And even understanding how to develop KPIs and understanding, okay, if my machine learning algorithm achieves this level of accuracy or whatever it is that you count as your model evaluation metric. How does a, you know, a move on that needle correspond to a business KPI and try to find the connections between those two. Right. So definitely do some research into metrics and KPI framing and generation. Like how do I, you know, obviously top line revenue is something all businesses care about, but businesses in particular industries, they generate revenues in different ways right so if somebody has like a software as a service platform right um, the way they generate revenue is going to be different than somebody in, in a manufacturing industry so you know for example like the software as a service like what what's the big one ideal in SaaS, i think like customer acquisition cost and yeah. things like that right whereas manufacturing it might be just labor costs right so you know for example customer churn is also a big one for a software as a service right um, so just understanding those things right like hey okay, great i 'm predicting churn, and if I am trying to predict churn, then what does a what what does a successful intervention look like right if i'm able to prevent x number of customers from churning, how does that relate back to top line revenue? what do you think ideally?
1: I think you're spot on with that. I think that's um, an area that at least in several of the interviews I've had, um, we tend to go in depth on because it's not just about the model building process, but truly a deep understanding of the business. So being able to directly correlate um, KPIs and then measure if you're actually getting movement on these KPIs. So um if you are let's say you build a model, you put it in production, um, are you actually starting to see results that you would expect? And if not, and that is often the case, um, what steps do you take to iterate again. So um, knowing, let's say, a model fails, what do you do to debug? What do you do to try and identify potential reasons for the failure? Is it that you had a um, mismatch in what kind of data you expected would go into the model when you were building? Um, being able to identify these parts and then go through that iteration all over again is something that um, I've I've been asked to, type, to talk through in, in data science interviews
0: and i can imagine the follow up question here is well we're working on a on a take home like not a take home project but we're working on a portfolio project that's not even like a real business how do we how do we even apply these to our to our portfolio projects and the thing is like it it's that's it's fine like if you're a portfolio project yeah it's a fictitious environment but that still doesn't prevent you from clearly defining what a KPI is and it doesn't necessarily have to be like the right or wrong kpi because you're operating in a sandbox environment just the fact that you've put some thought into it and clearly said okay these are these are the things that we want to measure and we know that if we move the needle on the model accuracy by this amount then this is what we expect to see happen in in this particular kpi that we are hoping to influence with this model that we've built
1: one of the things I've seen on, I would say, really like extraordinary um, portfolios is going through this process, kind of um, writing out what steps you did and what that kind of final model would look like. Um, but I've seen people go even further by adding these kind of um, what if scenarios or case statements saying, um, what if? Uh, one scenario might be you put the model into production and it does not move your KPIs by 15% or more. And then, so they'd under that section write through, okay, if this is the case, here are the steps I would take, even without having to go through those steps uh, with their actual model Um, or another, what if scenario, this model does improve our KPIs by this. Um, I've seen some people say, let's, Long term, uh, look at this. We put in they, so they put into their portfolio. This is how uh, often and frequent they would collect new data to update the model. This is how they would track um, accuracy drift when the model is in production. So, um, those are things they might just be little text segments as part of your portfolio. But um, when a hiring manager or reviewer is looking at that, they're like, "Okay, you've thought a lot further than just a um, singular model in your in your portfolio."
0: And if you guys were joining in on my presentation, I dedicated this ties back to the analysis plan and the executive summary, right? This is where you would include that type of information that Ayodele was talking about. Thank you so much. So just looking into the chat, we got some questions. But first, I remember Tor had his hand up. So we'll go to Tor. And then after Tor, we'll go to uh, Karuna's question. Tor, are you still here? Uh,
5: Yeah, I am. It's funny because the original question I had uh, kind of disappeared. Um, but I'm really curious more about when you're talking about your projects and how you form. Okay, I'm extremely new to this. So I'm trying to understand the processes involved. And from what I hear, I and mean, the more I'm listening, it seems to me that the workload related to the actual algorithm or SQL language or R language, or whatever language you do, is that you're basically doing a lot of design conceptualization, uh, data structuring, etc., to put in place first. But the actual algorithm process or the programming part is not really the biggest part of the job. And then the next step is the analysis and causes and you get a, an output and then you have to kind of go through and do a lot of analysis again to review and then go back and forth, back and forth between the programming and to kind of tune this project to the expected results that you had initially, is that a fair concept, and if so where if you took a hundred percent to spread it over that kind of workflow, where is most of the
0: time spent? That's a absolutely good assessment, and I mean just like any any science right you have to think about how it is you're going to proceed with this problem, and yeah, coding is a significant an important part of it, but I would say it's pervasive throughout the entire, you know, end-to-end uh, project. Um, but I guess the, if I understand your question correctly, it's where do you spend time in this in this pipeline in terms of understanding the problem and actual like hands-on work? The A
5: to Z basically, it's like you're basically starting, here's the problem or the issue. And then you go through the process. Now, I, I do the same step similarly in a much smaller scale. When I analyze transactional data from my audits, uh, these can range from one line or 100,000 lines up to 3, 4, 5 million transaction lines uh, yeah. or data uh, with 40, 50 columns. Now, based on my experience, I use Excel for this because that's what I'm familiar with. Um, that means I have to go in analyze the data I receive I have to clean it, I have to break it up there's uh, cells with specific work breakdown structure for example, that I will need to break down into smaller parts so I do this by creating new columns, etc, etc for me to analyze data it's structure analyzing data that takes about a good 40-50% of my time, the actual formulas that I use, etc, over the years, I have them in my quote-unquote portfolio, copy and paste, adjust, and double-click and it just copies the cells. And then when I run my pivot tables, which is my summaries, etc., again, I go back. So the actual part of doing the formulas, which is very similar to SQL and those kind of things, takes a very little portion of my time. What takes time is the preparation and the analysis work after and then going back and fine-tuning the formulas, adding new, columns to break down further, et cetera. But then I'll go into the next problem, which is that I get a lot of data out, which I don't have answers to, which I then have to request additional information from the operator or the system where it comes from. What does these sections mean? And then I can start building that into the tool again. So for me, this is my project, this is how it works. And the split of work is normally, like I said, 50% from the first part. 10% of the actual programming, et cetera. And then the last 40% is the analysis.
0: Yeah, I think that's fairly accurate for data science. And I think it's going to depend on who the data scientist is. Me, for example, like I just spend the vast majority of my time thinking about what it is that I need to do and how I'm going to execute on it. So, you know, I think it was Einstein that says, give me an hour to solve a problem and I'll spend 55 minutes thinking about the problem itself right i'm no einstein by any means but i tend to find that that's kind of how i work is all right if i've got like you know if i time box a a problem and i've got four to six hours to work on this problem i'll probably spend a good three hours just thinking about okay what is it that i actually have to do right and and just distilling that complexity down into actionable steps and breaking it down okay great if this is my end results that i'm looking for Let me work backwards from there and plan out small, discrete tasks that I could do along the way that are going to move me from absolute nothingness and ambiguity to what it is that I'm wanting to achieve. So I will, I will spend a vast majority of my time just thinking about what it is I have to do breaking it down, putting it into discrete chunks, and then just executing. Um, Ideally, what about you?
1: Yeah, I would say, it's hard because I feel like it depends um, so much, but I think maybe an initial 20% of my time really trying to formulate that problem, um, understand what I need to do. And then mm, between like 20 and 30% of that time is spent like cleaning, manipulating data, making sure that um, what I'm using for training is what I should be using um, for training models. And then coding is about another 10 to 20% and actually building some of those pipelines in model building. Um, And the rest is pretty much analysis and kind of the iteration of um, analysis. The model wasn't great. (laughs) Um, Going back and doing those tweaks and the rest of that is really just uh, iterating through the, the remaining steps
0: yeah and when you have a framework in place it just makes it so much easier so that's why it's it's good to establish a set of principles by which you execute on your work so that you don't have to reinvent the wheel every time and you know like i talked about in my presentation a couple of frameworks um one that i've been using uh a lot of recently is called kedro and the Kedro framework just makes it really easy for me to um, to to execute on stuff. And before Kedro, it was cookie cutter data science. So these frameworks in place that just make the actual execution of things uh, easier and more streamlined, and make the pipelines kind of fit together. So next question I got up. We'll go. We'll do two more questions and we'll call it a day. Um, Unless there's more questions, you know, if you guys got questions, now's the time to put it in in the chat to hold your place. Um, Because after we do Karuna's question, we're going to go to um, Deepesh's question. Um, So if you have a question, put it into the chat right now. Hold your place. Otherwise, we'll end after these two. Karuna, go for it.
6: Uh, yes, uh, first, I would like to uh, do a follow up on uh, what was the discussion earlier. Uh, so I basically struggle on the timeline as well in my projects. Uh, first, I start while uh, I research on the project. So I find out uh, while working on it uh, that this might not be the good approach or while I'm researching, there are multiple models or there are multiple research papers that I can implement. So I just uh, struggle. I get a hard time on deciding which I should do first or where should I basically start.
0: So you start with the baseline model, the simplest possible model that will get you a good result. And then you iterate from there. Right. So you have a suite of possible solutions that you're going to test out um, and you start by defining this for yourself. Right. You have to have a contract with yourself at the beginning of any project in the form of an analysis plan, which you say once you clearly define the problem it is that you want to work on that. OK, great. This is the problem I'm working on. This is how I'm going to establish a baseline line in the sand that is the simplest model that will give me good results and then from there i'm going to assess whether machine learning is going to be the right solution by applying a suite of techniques and if these suite of techniques don't beat the simple baseline model then hands up this is not a good application for machine learning right but the thing is you have to you 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 can make, you make a choice right you make a choice at the start of project do i want to be stunned into inaction by all the nuances of the real world, or do I want to just put it in paper, make a contract with myself that this is what it is I'm going to do and I'm going to execute on it. Right. So the choice is is up to you. Like do you want to be stunned into an action or just move the needle, right? Because the fact is there's a multiplicity of good models, right? Leo Bryman talked about this. He invented the random forest algorithm. And essentially he says that for any any set of input and any target, that there is going to be a whole host of complicated, complex machine algorithms that will, machine learning algorithms that will give you as good results as any of the other ones. Right. Um, so I don't know if that answered your yeah. question or not. Um, yeah, to-
6: uh, this works and, um, uh, yeah, uh, this totally does. It is helpful. Uh, another question that I uh, did really put on the chart was basically, uh, it's, It's the buzz out there that uh, for a data science profile, you have to have a minimum at least three to five years of experience. What at least I have uh, seen up till now, that employers do put, uh, someone even uh, uh, posted this on the LinkedIn that TensorFlow was reaching them out uh, so that they could join their uh, company. And they said that you should be having uh, at least 10 years of experience. in. Applying TensorFlow, and the person uh, commented that TensorFlow was uh, built or it was in place in 2015 itself. It has been only five to six years that TensorFlow had been there. Then how can you even ask for a 10 years of experience? So I get a hard time on uh, actually get, uh, getting the employers to basically at least go through the profile, and then you can decide whether I am uh, fit for the role or not. Or not just deciding by the number of experience or having a graduation from a tier one or tier two Institute.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I, that I'll give you my answer. You might not like it, but the first, the first part of that question is, okay, I see these job postings that have these ridiculous requirements and how am I, how am I even going to break in? Like, I'm not even going to bother playing. Well, first of all, like nobody is going to reach their hand through your screen and slap you for trying to apply for a job, which has these crazy, you know, kind of requirements, right? So don't worry about that. If you see a job requirement, and this is a question that I talked about with a lot of people that come onto my podcast, ignore the job descriptions completely and apply for it anyways, right? The fact is when you have a career that is certified as sexy, and everybody wants to become a data scientist now, you're going to have a ton of people applying for the job. And sometimes it's not even the data scientists who write these job requirements or these job descriptions, right? It's done by HR, somebody who who doesn't have any clue about data science. And they put these really crazy requirements just to deter people from applying for the role, right? That's definitely a possibility. Um, I don't know if that's answering your question at all, but my message here is ignore the job descriptions, apply for roles anyways. Right. But here's the thing, like your job isn't over just by submitting your resume. There's still work that you need to do on your end. And that work is getting people inside the company to notice your profile. Right. And the way you get people to notice your profile is by trying to message recruiters and hiring managers through LinkedIn or however it is that you, you, you need to get in touch with them. And building relationships and trying to get them to look at your your profile Um, and you do this enough right because it's a numbers game right you have to keep applying for jobs you have to keep attacking before one of these applications converts to a actual job offer i think for any given job that you apply just a just just assign yourself a prior probability of less than 1% chance of you landing this role, right? And then as you progress through the process, you can update that probability. But I I don't even know if I'm answering your question at all. I'm going to turn this over to Ayodele, and then we can uh, see if we answered your question.
1: Yeah, I think... There's a a valid point to be made, though, about um, not being genuinely considered for roles, especially um, so many companies using ATS systems that are looking specifically for um, certain keywords as well as years of experience being one um, or just a number of prior roles, um, I would say that uh, you you kind of hit it on the head heartbeat with really just making relationships at these organizations. So um, not just kind of adding someone on LinkedIn to say, hey, you know, can you give me a referral for this role or make sure it gets seen, but really trying to build a relationship with people. Um, and I know that it's incredibly difficult because I've been there and I've done it and you will probably get silence more than you will ever get like a genuine response however um it is it it is that numbers game and that if you aren't making these connections and you aren't reaching out otherwise there is little reason or um there's little other ways for you to up update or, uh, increase your chance of really being considered. So, um, sometimes what I'll do is before I even apply to a job, see if I have connections to these people, if we just happen to be following each other on Twitter or something, um, especially if it's a large organization, it's easy to narrow down on Twitter and find those with specific job titles and data science or ML, um, and then try to build relationships there. I've done, um, really just short informational interviews. So um, you want to work at this organization. So you spend a couple of minutes talking to someone who does work there um, and maybe, you know, you can build a good relationship from there and they may offer you a referral. So um, it's, it's definitely taking some of the creative um, and, and pretty bold route to just start kind of cold messaging people out of nowhere um in order to get seen because it is really difficult when you don't have um certain number of years of experience on your resume
0: yeah and like there's hundreds or thousands of people applying for the same role right so they, they put up these crazy requirements In a sense to deter a fraction of people from applying right so that's definitely out there and i firmly believe that you can replicate data science experience for yourself through a well-done project right if your project if your portfolio project is nothing but a ipython notebook hosted on github and that's the only thing that's not a great project it doesn't really showcase that you are a professional right so do what your competition is not doing, right? And separate yourself from them. If all you're doing is looking at, you know, the, the playing field, right? And not wondering how you can separate yourself from them, then you're not really going to separate yourself. I mean, I'm talking in circles right now. I apologize for that. But uh, I'm going to stop talking for a second and see if Corona, with uh, that answered your question. And first, let me know if I'm saying your name right. <laughs>
6: no sure it does i i really get you i know what you're talking about and yeah i do really reply uh, apply on the jobs which i where i do not even fulfill the number of experience but yeah i'll just work on my projects more and uh, i'll get back to you if uh, it doesn't work anymore for me sure but yeah it was very helpful
0: yeah definitely you know it's more than just a project got to make sure your resume game is on point make sure that if you do have a project that you're recording yourself and you're putting yourself on youtube talking about your project right just give people a good sense of your candidacy um holistically right i guess is what i'm going to say Um, but yeah good luck in the search so i see that the next question i got in line here is from deepesh sander if you have a question um do you want to just hold the place in line or if you have a question that's related to what we're talking about right now you can take the floor but if it's like topic, uh,
7: can- my question is related actually okay um i'm a master's in data science student and my work experience is unrelated to my master's unfortunately and i'm trying i started applying for jobs in december late december because I'm getting my master soon in the summer, so I want to, you know, start with um, practicing interviewing, especially te- technical interviewing. And I had a couple interviews, but it's been hard to uh, secure a job offer uh, because the there's a lot of competition right now, as you as you mentioned. And um, the I need to I realized after having a, a couple of interviews that I need to. My step up my game on the technical part, not so much on the behavioral, uh, because I already have work experience. So it's more about showing that you know I can do data science. So, uh, so that's why I related to um to the question that Karuma made and. So, my question is, how can I better position myself? I already everything that you're talking about, like reaching out to people that work at these organizations and asking them about the you know how it's working there the the culture and I'm also been getting referrals so i i am like uh I still have time you know by graduating in the summer, I still have time to get a job and but i I just wanna get better at this so I can
1: get offered." <laughs> I think I I very much relate Um, when I was trying to, when I was interviewing trying to get roles, um, none of the jobs on my resume actually related whatsoever. Um, First piece of advice would be um, trying to focus in a little bit on the industry of your past roles. So if there's um, any overlap there or if your um, previous work was, all in one industry trying to target um, data science roles in that industry. The other piece of advice I would have, um, I guess, would be to there, There's a couple of routes you could take. So um, I've seen a lot of people go the freelance route and find a lot of success, even if you're not doing um, full time freelance work. But having a couple projects to speak on um, is really helpful when you do get to that interview stage. And um, I've also seen some like amended things you can do to your resume. So um, even before, like you have the heading for work experience and under that, um kind of put what most people would consider their objectives so i'm a career transitioner, or going from all of these kinds of roles targeting data science and ml roles because i have done uh my master's in this and x y and z so i think that kind of primes who the recruiter or the interviewer for i know that i shouldn't be looking at the bullet points under this work experience to try and match to the job that we have open so um those are a couple of things that you might
7: be able to try. Yes, I tried about um, looking for companies that do fintech because my background is accounting, my work experience, and that's what I'm trying to, you know, focus more like in. So let's do. I this. appreciate.
0: Give me a link to your GitHub. Let's look at your portfolio and let me dissect it for you right now, um, and tell you what you could do immediately to improve on that. So you can start getting more callbacks and also like applying since December, that's not, not uh, too, too long. So I think you'll, you'll notice that there's going to be a delay. Uh, you
7: Yeah, oh. no, but I, I've been able to get uh, uh, re- re- interviews already. Yeah. So it's just, uh, I, I have to work on my uh, interviewing on the technical part since I don't work in the field, but I have the, you know, I'm, I'm doing my, academic studies in in data science um, i just have to practice more like do mock interviews that's what i realized i have to do so i can
0: and are you doing them
7: i'm not doing them so that's okay. why i i kind of put a pause on applying to, uh, to jobs right now and more like work on my on my uh, interview my technical interviewing
0: yeah, so yeah you have, to, you have to do mock interviews and then you know do research into the most commonly asked data science questions or for interviews. There's literally hundreds of blog posts out there and you can, or even follow Vin Vashista on online. He's got some great, uh, on LinkedIn, rather he's got some great resources as well for data science interviews. So I highly recommend that. But if you want me to look at your portfolio project and just tell you some immediate improvements, either, I mean, we could, you could come to the Friday office hour session or we can come talk about it right now. Um, and we can like start making some serious improvements um either way let me know
7: uh thank you i appreciate it
0: I'd be happy to do that um but yeah you gotta keep applying remember it'll be a time delay like um if if you apply to jobs in december you might start getting calls callbacks like towards the end of this month or early march for those jobs because you know there's a window of, of of in incoming applications most companies will probably accept applications after a certain point cut off and then start looking at them and reviewing and then start narrowing down the finalists and things like that. Yeah. Don't be disappointed. And I must say,
7: I must say for other people in the call too, that, that uh, referrals do work, that you Mm -hmm. can increase your chances by, by getting a referral.
0: Yeah. If anybody wants to give Sandra a uh, mock interview, send her a private message right here. You guys should be helping each other out as much as possible. So Sandra, um, I would even put a status update on (laughs) on LinkedIn, just tell people to give you a mock interview. Because here's the thing, if you help people with mock interviews, you're helping yourself as well. Yes. So so definitely help each other with mock interviews. I'd love to see that happen. Um, You know, even post it up on LinkedIn as a, uh, as what status or whatever it was called and, and ask somebody to help you out. So, all right, so let's start, let's. Go on to Deepesh's question. Then after Deepesh's question, um, I think we'll wrap it up. Are you still here, Deepesh?
8: Hi everyone. Uh, okay. So, uh, so actually, my question was around uh, when we start off with a project which we are working on with our clients. So, like from business business perspective, we are already, you know, as a data scientist, we are already at a disadvantage that we don't have any domain expertise as much as our clients do. So, in many cases, what happens is that The senior management doesn't need us to produce any novel insight, but what they do want is that they have a very clear decision in their mind. But what they do want is an analysis or a story or a narrative to support their decision. So what does happen is that if we stick to our own correct methods, approaches to to bring about a solution, it may or may not align with what their thoughts are. And if it doesn't, then the senior management directly questions you that, hey, dude, maybe your approach is wrong or the data that you have taken is wrong or there's something wrong with what you are doing. So how do we go about navigating this kind of a situation where, you know, just because of a lack of data expertise, the business leaders or, you know, the business side of folks don't take you as seriously as they should have?
1: That's a good question. Um, I think I'd first... It's difficult because there are other people and <laughs> their um, expertise in question as well. Um, I think part of almost every data scientist's job is a little bit of education. So um, trying to approach the situation with some tact and being able to educate them. So um, I have found it important to let them in a little bit on some of the statistical stuff that's behind what we're doing. So um, talking to them about the kinds of metrics that are important, um, the kind of uh, bridging some of those gaps in their data knowledge um, so that you can do your work either convincingly or um, help them to understand that the vast majority of what we're doing is predictions and we don't really have the real truth. And we, um, I think it's part expectation setting. So I know so many people um, think that we are kind of wizards and can kind of um, create a model that just works well or create, um, have an analysis that backs them up. And I think that trying to, get them away from that mindset and say, uh, you know, sometimes it's about understanding motivations. Why are they motivated to have data that supports a decision? Um, Sometimes it's a direction they want to move the company in and they want um, analytics to back that. But I think working with them to understand uh, a lot of the limitations (laughs) in what we can do and that maybe the approach, the best approach is not to just look for data that backs them up or backs a specific position up, but um, data that is more... Uh, Close to the ground truth and an analysis that can give them options. Um, but i would I would urge you to suggest that they have a hypothesis or something that they want to um, verify that's not just coming from um, their position, that they want data to verify, if that makes sense.
0: It's interesting that you could take all the boot camps and classes that you want, but they don't actually teach you the fact that you work with people, right? And there's a whole element of soft skills that I think a huge swath of data science candidates just ignore. Right. And they just think, Oh, I know models. I know algorithms. I know coding. I'm the best data scientist. Nah, man, you're going to run into people consistently throughout your career that are going to question everything that you do. Right. So You need to be able to work with people, right? And if you're coming out from the perspective that I know the data, I'm doing it right, you fall in your gut, that's wrong. Nah, the intuition is worth something, right? Um, And it's up to you to influence people, right? So I think one thing that you should do is work on your interpersonal skills, work on your influence and persuasion skills, right? There's a whole host of non-obvious skills that you need to have as a data scientist to succeed. Good thing my friend Keith McCormick has a class on LinkedIn Learning that is titled "The Non-Obvious Skills for Data Science." So sit and watch that course. Um, there is no clear-cut answer to your question. Ibu answer was spot on, really good. But I mean, dealing with people who you know, once once people have a theory of how something should be, everybody wants the next thing to be just like the first, um, which it's it's not the case, not reality, right? Um, so I have a framework I call the EPIC framework, E-P-I-C, right? And it's empathy, perspective taking, influence, and concurrence, right? So if we're working with the stakeholder and the stakeholder doesn't buy into your model, first put yourself in their, in their shoes. What is it that they are feeling, right? When confronted with this evidence, what do you think that they're feeling, right? Once you can yourself in that place all right they're probably feeling this way then take their perspective the cognitive processes that are going on in their mind all right what is this person thinking about the situation right and how can i understand that once you can apply empathy and perspective taking then you can move towards influence which is all right now that i understand how this person feels and what they're thinking now i can talk to them about how we are actually working towards the same goal right and influence their decision or their perspective on what it is that I'm doing and hopefully achieve some concurrence, right? And this framework has helped me greatly dealing with people who think they know how something should work and are so set in their ways. Um, It it just helps to to nudge them into the direction to see things your way. So hopefully that's helpful. If you have any follow-ups to that, let me know.
8: Sure. Uh, thanks for sharing your perspective. So I would just like to add one, you know, example or, you know, a situation that I have been through that it takes a certain amount of time to understand the why behind every project. So as in, when we start off with something, so maybe the client would give you some vague description that, okay, this is what we want to do. And as we progress, we go about trying to structure their problem, trying to figure out, okay, these are the steps that we can take and come up with a solution. but as we progress and you know uh, encounter hurdles in the process that why is this not acceptable so that actually has you know in in an example of or in a project that i had worked on so it gave me an idea through these iterations through these hurdles that okay why is this you know direction being taken by them or why is this approach is you know very well received or this one was not you know well accepted by them so yeah i think uh that's, you know, the approach which Harpreet you mentioned, that's the epic that pretty much, you know, uh, that was very thoughtful. And I would certainly uh, try to apply this approach going forward.
0: Yeah, definitely. And uh, take a look at the link. I hope you guys have LinkedIn learning. It's worth it. It's definitely been a huge benefit for me, but of course I linked to by Keith McCormick, the non-technical skills of effective data science, uh, scientists with the non-obvious skills that you need to succeed as a data scientist. Uh, definitely check that out. Um, and All right, so we do have a couple questions in the chat, then we'll wrap it up. A uh, question here from Quinton, what methodology do we use for framing the problem statement? and valuable resources about that. Uh, I use a scientific method applied to data science. And there's been a really a couple of really good articles um, online about that. Um, I can't remember the author's name, but if you do like a, a search for like quote data science and quote scientific method, I think it's like the first or second uh, search result that comes up. Uh, definitely check that out. Ayodeli, what do you use to...
1: Frame. Um, I actually posted a link in here um, for problem framing. So this is um method that I've used in past in, in the past. Um, it goes from scoping to um acknowledging some of the like ethical requirements or things that aren't, um, I hate to say non-obvious, but uh, things that are usually not part of our project scoping plan. So um, we tend to use a lot of scientific methodology without trying to include um, some of the potential impacts of of these modeling, of this modeling, especially when we're um, using like healthcare data or anything that else that is. Um, high impact, higher risk. So um, I would start off there and trying to get comfortable with asking these similar questions for pretty much every kind of model, modeling project you're facing.
0: Yeah. I think that's probably like the hardest part is framing the problem correctly, which, which is why I think it takes so much so much time. But once you do that, I feel like it makes the rest of the work so much easier, right? Once you clearly define the problem and what it is you're trying to do and yeah, just things are so much smoother. So uh, the last question I see in the chat, then it will be the last one for, for our session today, is from uh, Alok. Alok, if you want to unmute, go for yeah.
9: it. Yeah, yeah, hi, everyone. Uh, so my question is like, uh, uh, we see a lot of algorithms, like if I see from a beginner point of view, we see a lot of algorithms in front of us. So um, how do exactly uh, we approach uh to get a good start and a good hands-on uh, to the ML part so that at least you know we can start approaching the interviews and then uh, keep on improving parallelly because the dashboarding and the cosmetics part, uh, we can manage it anytime. So that's not that difficult part, but the algorithms is. So how do we approach that?
0: Man, dashboarding and visual, that's the hard part for me. I would tell you, how do you handle this?
1: Yeah, I would say um, trying to get as much hands-on and then hands-on practice, but trying to do things incrementally. So if you are, um, just starting off, you can, let's say, take a, go down the rabbit hole of like logistic regression, um, really feel like you can understand this, put it into practice, and then answer the hard questions about it. So, um, things you'll see, I guess logistic was a bad, uh, example, but, um, let's say you're doing linear regression things that you'll see in interviews or down the line will be, um, Tell me about specific uh, like linear models or tell me specifically um, what kinds of situations you wouldn't want to use this for. So um, I see each kind of algorithm as having its own really long, um, in-depth kind of learning plan making your way down that, um, without feeling like, okay, you're supposed to know every single thing about, um, a specific algorithm within a week, but even if it's, you are spending two weeks or whatever that kind of sprint looks like, um, going deep and making sure that you can, uh, answer the why. So the, um, why you would choose, uh, a specific kind of boosting model over another wa- model, why, um, a uh, scenario where you're trying to predict like illnesses is not a good use case for some types of models. So, um, those are the questions that aren't really included in like these tutorials. But um, with practice, uh, putting that into applying it with real data, um, you'll be able to build an intuition for what are good scenarios and what aren't good scenarios for different kinds of algorithms.
9: Yeah, exactly. Because uh, currently uh, I have this uh, uh, going through with my studies, right? So I just started recently on data analytics uh, post-graduation in Canada. So I have some subjects upcoming uh, for those concepts as well. So I'm just trying to be prepared well for the projects as well, so I could perform the best at the end. So that's what my aim is. So uh, thanks for that Vice. So I'll just try to apply them.
0: Awesome. Yeah. So any other questions based on that?
9: Um, no, uh, I'm good for now. So I'll try to uh, at least begin at some point.
0: Yeah, cool. Yeah. Well, doesn't look like there's any other questions in the chat. Uh, saw Revit just came in at the very last minute. Revit, you, you, you joined right Whereas we're about to end it. Thanks for uh, thanks for swinging by though. Um, but yeah, doesn't look like any more questions in the chat, guys. Uh, if you do have a Question, last minute question. Now's the time to get it out there. Uh, if not, guys, thank you so much for taking time out your schedule to be here today. I uh, appreciate you guys swinging by. Um, take care, have a good rest of your Sunday. And you know, definitely if you have questions, feel free to to reach out and shoot me a message or email. If if you have a question, but you can't make it to the next session, we'd be happy to tack it on. Um, so guys take care, have a good rest of the weekend. Remember you got one life on this planet. Why not try to do something big? Cheers, everybody. Thank y'all. Have a good one.